The Seahawks hope to keep their secondary together in free agency. Unfortunately, a key component of that group is heading to the East Coast in the Big Apple. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it down on the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me is always my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. Day two of the legal tampering period. It's overall been a pretty quiet day for the Seahawks. No new signings as of this point. As I'm speaking right now, they probably are releasing a few signings. That's the way things go when we record this podcast. But we are going to be diving into the four moves the Seahawks made to re-sign players such as Quandre Diggs and Will Disley later in the show, handing out some grades for those signings. And we're going to take a look at some free agents still out there on the market that would be good fit, good fits for the Seahawks as we head into the first day of free agency tomorrow. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Going into the offseason, Pete Carroll and new defensive coordinator Clint Hurt mentioned that they wanted to keep this secondary together as much as possible. They had a number of key players in that group heading towards free agency, Quandre Diggs, Sidney Jones, and cornerback DJ Reed. They were able to re-sign two out of three, but the latter, DJ Reed, is heading to the Big Apple, reuniting with Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, was previously the defensive coordinator for the 49ers when they drafted Reed, played his first two years there out of Kansas State. So strong familiarity there. He has signed a three-year, $33 million contract, or at least will sign it tomorrow when he's officially allowed to. He's agreed to those terms. So he's going to be flipping coasts. And there's no doubt about it, Rob, this is a significant loss for the Seahawks because Reed has been their best corner the last two seasons, and he's just 25 years old. So he might just be scratching the surface of his potential on the outside. Yeah, that's one of the most disappointing things about it, Corbin, is the fact that he is still a very young player, a very proven player. Um, but at the same time, I, I had you know a huge concerns about it. You know, would he be able to escape Seattle um, if he were put in that position to do so? Um, as I told, mentioned in you know, some of our previous episodes, I really think that this is a terrific cornerback draft class. But at the same time, we have seen so many high-ranking prospects in years in the past who have struggled out of the gates, um, and that was the exact opposite of DJ Reed. Um, as a day three selection who you know shrugged off a couple of injuries during his time in San Francisco to come to Seattle and really play with that tenacity and the pure coverage skills that the Seahawks are reportedly going to be focusing in on here. Um, so again, a very disappointing loss. Uh, as you mentioned, Salah, um, I think was a huge, huge draw with the New York Jets. Obviously, this wasn't about just wins and losses because the Jets struggled uh, last year as they have many uh, of the past decade or so. But at the same time, that is a team that I think is on the upswing. Um, and I think, do think that uh, that the, the, the fact that, that DJ had the, the, the relationship already with Salah um, and the fact that this is a team that already has their young quarterback in place, already has a defensive-minded head coach that should have that squad on that side of the ball playing much better this upcoming season. I think there's all the reason in the world, along with 33 million others, for DJ Reed to sign with the New York Jets. 
There have been plenty of fans since the news broke earlier today wondering why the Seahawks weren't willing to pay that price. And the thing is, you just paid Quandre Diggs $13.3 million per year. You just spent a little over $3 million to re-sign Sidney Jones. That might not seem like a lot of money, but those things add up. And we've talked about it all offseason. You know, the hot spot for the Seahawks re-signing Reed was probably in that 7 to 10 million of the most range. And this is not a lot over that value, but it's an extra million per year. And ultimately the Seahawks have other things they need to address. This is a good cornerback draft class. I think that he just priced himself out and Robert Sala, as you mentioned, was certainly a draw, but it is a disappointment. There's no question about it. When you have a young corner like this, that really was a revelation in his two years in Seattle. I mean, you got to remember how they got him to begin with. He had a torn pectoral muscle from a workout. The 49ers cut him thinking they could just slip him onto injured reserve and they could have him back the next year. Well, the Seahawks then plucked him off waivers and he came back midway through the season, made an incredibly speedy recovery from that injury, was a key player in the second half, starting eight games in the secondary, also contributed on special teams. And you look at his past season. They had him on the left side the first three games. He gave up two touchdowns. He just didn't look comfortable playing on the left side. They flip him back to the right side in week four. He doesn't give up another touchdown the entire rest of the season. He truly played at a Pro Bowl borderline all-pro level down the stretch. The last 15 games that he played in, he was fantastic. And so uh, it's, it's a big loss when you have a young guy like that that plays with the physicality, even though he's not a big long arm corner like they've preferred in the past. He has the style that they've been looking for. He's got the quickness to play man coverage. So I'm sure that he was prioritized. He's a player they really wanted to bring back, but there's only so much money to go around and every player's got a price point where you've got to back out. And I think that's what happened here with DJ Reed, a great deal for him. He earned this money given how he played the last two years for the Seahawks and he gets to play for a coach that he respects that he's played for before, and he's going to be a starter. He's going to be corner number one for the New York Jets. He's going to come right in and be their number one guy unless they draft another corner, which they could do. But he is going to be a starter for them on the outside, an immediate upgrade for them. And so great deal for him. Not a great situation for the Seahawks, but at least they have Sidney Jones back and Trey Brown's expected to make a full recovery from his knee injury. Going to be looking to add to that group, though, now. There's no question with Reed leaving that that is a very significant area of need for Seattle as they continue free agency and head towards the draft. One other noteworthy news piece today, the Seahawks tendered eight exclusive rights free agents. There's a few notable ones. Safety, Ryan Neal, who's done a great job filling in for Jamal Adams when he's been called upon the last two seasons. Penny Hart, a good special teams player that maybe can get a few more plays on offense this year for the Seahawks, potentially. Those two guys among the eight players, Brian Monet has been a consistent contributor in the interior defensive line. Those are just three of the players, and there are a couple others on there that haven't contributed to this point, including center Dakota Shepley, who was name-dropped, unprompted by Pete Carroll at the Combine. I would think that a player like Shepley has a chance after not really playing last year, depending what they do at the center position, he might be somebody that gets to actually compete for playing time this year. So some cheap, affordable re-signings there, exclusive rights, free agents, a number of guys that have a chance to contribute for the Seahawks in 2022. Yeah, there, there are some intriguing names on there, Corbin. Really quickly on, on DJ Reed, I think that you, you touched upon it. I, I think that it just exceeded what Seattle was willing to pay for a five-nine corner. I mean, that's, I think, what it would have come down to is that Reed is a good football player, but at the same time, he is far from the prototype. He does have 
light feet. He does have loose hips. He does play above his weight class in terms of run defense. But you think about the receivers that you are facing in the NFC West division, and they're all six foot plus, at least the best of the bunch are. Um, and I think that, that is one of the concerns that Seattle had. You brought back Sidney Jones. You mentioned the, the Trey Brown, who's obviously coming off the injury. Those are both relatively slight players as well. I think that you can expect Seattle to revert a little bit more back to what they had previously done. They're going to want a six-footer out there with some length and strength uh, yeah. to his game. So to me, I think that that very much played a role. And then again, I just think that, uh, that, that Reed wound up getting a bigger contract than Seattle was willing to absorb. We're going to move forward to the contracts the Seahawks did hand out yesterday, the four players that they re-signed, including Quandre Diggs. How do they grade out? How do those contracts look now, 24 hours after being reported? We're going to be discussing and debating, handing out our grades for all four of Seattle signings so far when we return. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head on over to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. This is Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast five days a week on YouTube. Expert analysis for all 32 teams available right at your fingertips, either on your desktop or on mobile. You can find it on YouTube five days a week. Yesterday, the Seahawks kicked off the free agency period, a new league year, by re-signing four of their own players. Rob, that's been the expectation all along, based on what Pete Carroll and John Schneider have said in recent months. They were going to be prioritizing keeping their own players, even coming off of a disappointing 7-10 and 10 season, especially on the defensive side of the football. And we saw that emphasized yesterday, re-signing Quandre Diggs, Sidney Jones, and Al Woods on the defensive side of the football. And then they also re-signed Will Disley, who was a key cog in getting their run game going in the last six weeks of the season. And they figure he's going to be an important part of that this upcoming season in their 12 personnel packages. Let's break down these contracts a bit more in-depth and hand out some grades, starting with the most notable, the first one that was announced yesterday, Quandre Diggs, three years, $40 million, $13.3 million per year. Currently at this point, the 10th highest paid safety, he was ninth yesterday, already has been passed by another player, Marcus Williams, signing with the Ravens today on a monster five-year, $70 million contract. So he's still in the top 10 for right now. Tyron Matthew, though, is going to need a new contract. So we'll see where he's at among the safety hierarchy after this process plays out. But to me, this is an extremely affordable deal. I know it's $13.3 million per year, but you're getting a guy that's been a Pro Bowl in the last two years that got all pro votes last year, and you're going to get him for the 10th highest value per year. To me, this is looking like an even bigger bargain now with what we saw Marcus Williams get from Baltimore, what Matthews expected to get from another team, than what it was yesterday. And I thought it looked like a pretty good deal for the Seahawks 24 hours ago. Yeah, I'm going to give this deal a B plus. Um, I, I'm not quite as, as high on, on Quandre Diggs or as low on Marcus Williams as, as maybe you or others might be. I think that Marcus Williams is the younger, better player. 
Um, Quandre Diggs, however, I would argue has been Seattle's most consistent defender, not just last year, but the year before that as well. So a really good football player. I just don't know that by giving him the contract that you gave him, that maybe um, that is one of the things that, that pushed DJ Reed out the door. And I, I wish the Seattle might have been able to manage both. However, this is the highest grade I am giving any of Seattle's moves so far. I thought that it was a necessary move. It's unfortunate that it costs what it costs because, again, we're talking about an undersized player who now has struggled with injuries over his career. And that is something to be concerned about. Um, I also question the wisdom of allocating so much money to the safety position. Obviously, what Quandre Diggs has earned has nothing to do with what Jamal Adams is getting paid. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I do think that that was a surprising decision by, by the Seahawks to go in that direction, make him their top priority when there were as many other good free safeties on the market. And that's a bit of a contrast to what I would argue we're seeing at the cornerback spot. So to me, a B plus, uh, I'm excited to see Quandre Diggs back in Seattle. think that he absolutely earned this money, perhaps even earned more. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that it was the slam dunk type of a deal that, that many out there might be uh, suggesting. I'm going to give this a hard A. I mean, to me, again, I think when you look at the numbers, and I understand that he's coming off an injury, but you didn't have ligament damage. So to me, his chances of coming back being 100% are extremely high. I think you're going to see the Quandre Diggs we saw before the injury. He's going to have a couple extra months after his expected recovery time to really make sure he's 100%. He has 19 interceptions the last five years. And that is more than what Tyron Matthew or Marcus Williams has. And I know that's not the only metric that matters, but he is one of the elite ball hawking safeties out there. He has made center field a no-fly zone for the Seahawks. I think he's got a lot of good football left in him. And again, for that price point, and considering his leadership in the locker room too, to me, this is not just about positional versatility or you know allocating all your funds to safety, whatever. You have to also look at the leadership void. Bobby Wagner's not going to be back. You couldn't afford to lose Quandre Diggs from that standpoint. So you're retaining your playmaker. You're retaining a key leader in the locker room and a guy that clearly still wants to be in Seattle, which to me right now, that might be bigger than anything with the departures of Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. Keeping a star player like that is a big deal. So I'm giving this one a solid A. Let's stay in the secondary, Rob. Sidney Jones, one year, $3.6 million with incentives, could be worth up to $4.4 million. I'm not usually one that gives a lot of A's, but I'm going to give an A for this one too because I thought Sidney Jones played really well the last six games last year. You saw some flashes before then, and he's still only 26 years old, a former second-round pick that had first-round billing before he got hurt during his pro day workout at Washington. So this is a kid that has always had talent. He's just had issues staying healthy. This, to me, is a low-risk move given it's not a ton of money for a starting cornerback. But I mentioned this when we got out of the season. As much as I like DJ Reed, I still wonder in this scheme if Sidney Jones could stay healthy, if he might have a higher ceiling of those two players. And I was really impressed with the improvements he made defending the run last year and coming up and sticking people. If that carries over, you keep him on the field. 3.6 million or 4.4 even if he lives up to the incentives, to me, that is a slam dunk deal, and he might be setting himself up for a longer-term deal worth more money next year. This is a deal that I like a lot for Seattle. No, I, I like this deal a lot as well. I, I gave it a B, um, and for all the different reasons why you love it, I, I love it as well. 
Um, one of the things that that you just mentioned that you like about the deal, that's a one-year kind of prove-it deal for Sidney Jones, it concerns me for Seattle um, because I, I do think he's a good football player. I am among those who had given him a first-round grade based on what he did at the University of Washington prior to suffering that, that torn Achilles. Um, I, I just worry that if he does continue to play as well as he did last year, showing great uh, quickness and uh, awareness in coverage, um, and then the improved run tack run defending, as you mentioned, the open field tackling that had been a bit of a bugaboo for him going back to his days at uh, Philadelphia with the Philadelphia Eagles as well as the University of Washington. Um, but still, that I, I just wish that Seattle uh, had given themselves a little bit more flexibility, maybe having a uh, a second year as a team option um, or something like that. So that way, if he does ball out, and I expect him to do so then they had a little bit more flexibility, especially now in hindsight's 20 with 20, but especially now in hindsight and losing DJ Reed, as we talked about before. Let's shift up to the trenches now. Al Woods, we've talked time and time again about how fantastic he was a year ago and not just, you know, helping Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks make all of those tackles by eating up blocks in the trenches, but he also had a career high in tackles. He was able to get 18 pressures in the interior, rushing the quarterback at 34 years of age. He didn't play at all in 2020, opted out due to COVID. So for him to come back and play the way he did, he was one of their most consistent defenders, one of their best players on the team last year. And so you and I were both arguing he needed to come back two years for $9 million. I'm going to give this one a B just because the 9 million seems a little bit steep to me for a guy that's 35 years old. And I don't know that we're going to see the same production we saw a year ago. I think he's still going to be a very good player. I like they're bringing him back. And the fact the guaranteed money is only a little under half of that, it does protect the Seahawks for next season. If he doesn't play as well this year, they can move on and it's not going to hurt their cap. But I, I do wonder about giving him a multi-year deal with that type of money. We're talking about a nose tackle that, yes, he's a little bit better as a pass rusher maybe than advertised, but he is still a 330-plus pound nose tackle, and he's going to be 35. So I have a little reservation about the money, but not the player. I really love it. They brought him back to team up with Puna Ford and newcomer Shelby Harris. That is a chance to be a very disruptive interior defensive line. It, it does. And, and, again, very similar to uh, you know the comments with – uh, Sidney Jones just a moment ago. I basically agree with you 100%. Really good football player. Uh, I'm going to give this grade a B minus. And the biggest reason why is, <clears throat> again, the the fact that that he's getting a raise at this point in his career, that surprises me. The fact that it is a two-year deal. Frankly, I wish that that he and Sidney Jones's contracts were flip-flopped. Um, I think that Seattle could have given themselves a little bit more flexibility with the younger cornerback. Um, and then rather than an, an aging defensive tackle. But again, that said, oh, my goodness, Al Woods, what a phenomenal season that he just had. And you talked about it there with Quandre Diggs and how the fact that the Seattle is losing leadership with Bobby Wagner. I mean, you cannot put a price on that. Um, and, and yet that's exactly what the Seahawks did, and I guess, in a way here with, with what they paid Quandre Diggs and what they're paying Al Woods. I think that those are two of the leaders, um, maybe not – with what they say, but certainly with how they perform. Um, and, and so I, I think that the fact, however, I would say this, there are a number of good veteran defensive tackles still on the market, Corbin. So again, it did surprise me that Seattle would bump up the amount of pay 
that they are giving Al Woods when there are, again, some big-name guys on that free agent market, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, Jaron Reed, to name a few of them. Um, so that did surprise me a little bit, and that's why I gave it a B-. minus. Let's go to the offensive signing, the one offensive signing that the Seahawks have made so far, and this really was the big shocker. We mentioned it yesterday. It's not that the Seahawks re-signed Will Disley because we know the organization loves him. They have great respect for his ability to fight back from not one but two very severe injuries, and he's an excellent run blocker. So from a skill set perspective, he fits what the Seahawks are wanting at the tight end position. They don't really have another tight end in the roster right now that is a pure blocker as an inline wide tight end. So re-signing it made sense, but three years for $24 million, a dead cap hit if he was to be cut after the second year that's going to be around $10 million. Uh, there are some concerns to me with this contract. Now, ultimately, it's really a two-year deal, so I misspoke a little bit. It, the dead cap hit would be year two. It would be a little over $9 million. Year three is not guaranteed, so Seattle could get out from under it then. That makes this a bit more of a reasonable contract, but you're still talking a $9 million plus cap hit for him in 2023. This year is going to be affordable under $5 million, but this is a player that has three total touchdowns as a receiver in the last two years, and he's been healthy the last two seasons. He's played all but a couple of games, and he has not had the production. He's not been involved in the passing game less than 25 receptions each of those two seasons. He hasn't gotten to 500 receiving yards in those two years combined. He had that total in 10 games his first two years before those injuries that he suffered. So he just hasn't been a big part of the passing game. He did have an 80% catch rate each of the last three seasons. So he's been reliable when Seattle has thrown the football to him. Maybe they're looking towards the future with a different quarterback. Not a slight on Russell Wilson, but didn't always do a great job getting his tight ends involved, particularly in the middle of the field. They might be thinking with a different quarterback in Shane Waldron's scheme, we're going to be running a lot of 12 personnel, two tight ends in the field, that Will Disley will be a bigger factor in the passing game moving forward. And you know he's going to be an invaluable contributor as a run blocker. I'm going to give this deal a C-. minus. I'm not going to completely just bash this signing because I do think Will Disley's a good player and he fits their offensive scheme well. I just think that they overpaid for the receiving production that you've gotten and what I ultimately expect to see from Will Disley moving forward. Yeah, again, buddy, I think that's very well articulated. Um, you know, like the player, love the man and what he's been able to uh, show with his dedication on and off the field. I mean, talk about, you know, leading by example. Um, I, I do wonder what it suggests for Seattle's offense moving forward. Um, because he is very much more of a run-blocking tight end, that kind of quarterback's uh, best friend in the short to intermediate zone. But, you know, let, let's face it. I mean, in today's modern NFL, you want tight ends who can run, and you just trade for one in no offense. Uh, so the fact that Seattle um, brought him back on an extended year contract for that kind of money, um, you know, it was surprising. Now, we have seen some of the good tight ends in this free agent class get picked off. Mike Gusecki being a guy I was really intrigued by. Um, Miami franchised it. Um, and this tight end class in the draft is not very good. It, it's got good depth, but there isn't the frontline guy out there. I would be stunned if you see a tight end go in the first 45 picks. And that's only happened a couple of times where we've gone that far without seeing a tight end go. Um so I do think that Seattle basically is just kind of making sure that they filled in that position. But I was surprised that the longest deal 
for the biggest amount of money, um, you know, was, was, was Will Disley. I mean, Quandre Diggs, of course, that's a whole different level. But still, it, it did surprise me that, that Will Disley got what he received. Even though a good football player, but again, just um, there's still some things that are, are kind of left to be explained a little bit by that contract, in my opinion. We'll see what happens here in the next few days with Seattle's own free agents. We still don't know what's going to happen with Rashad Penny, Dwayne Brown, Brandon Shell. There's been some rumors that the Seahawks have been discussing potentially bringing him back. And, oh, by the way, Russell Wilson and the Broncos might want to add Brandon Shell as well. So there's some recruiting going on. We'll know more on these players in coming days as free agency continues. Tomorrow's the first official day where teams can sign outside free agents. So I expect a lot more movement starting tomorrow. Speaking of those free agents that are on the market, here in a moment, Rob and I are going to break down several free agents that are still available on offense and defense that would be good fits for the Seahawks, who still have plenty of cap space and a lot of holes to fill on both sides of the football this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Free agency officially underway tomorrow. Tampering's been going on the last two days, but contracts can finally be signed tomorrow. There are a number of free agents that are still unspoken for, some really good players on offense and defense, and the Seahawks have some cap space to work with, a lot of holes to fill. So, Rob, let's talk some of the guys that are still out there on the market, and we'll start on offense. Who's a player or two that's still out there that hasn't been linked to another team, hasn't committed or agreed to terms with another team, that would be a really good fit for the Seahawks moving into the first official day of free agency? Well, as we talked about, uh, you know, Seattle obviously brought back the tight end, and Will Disley made the big trade. Um, involving Noah Fant. Um, and, and so I think that that position is locked down. Um, but at the same time, I think that still there is a concern for another pass rusher, two of the, or excuse me, another pass catcher, two of the pass catchers who have always been intrigued by are basically polar opposites of each other. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster um, just is as physical as it gets at the receiver position. Um, I've, I've basically bemoan the fact that I just don't see much physicality on Seattle's offense. I don't see enough physicality on Seattle's defense either, but on their offense, that, that is something that I think that, that Seattle could get much tougher at the receiver position and blocking downfield if they brought in a guy like Juju. And then on the flip side, if you want to go for that home run hitter and make no mistake, Drew Locke has got an absolute cannon. Um, and certainly if Seattle decides to invest an early draft pick, I would be stunned 
if the quarterback that they wind up selecting also doesn't have a big-time arm. It just kind of fits in with what Seattle is prioritizing on offense. So the speedster Will Fuller, to me, would be a wide receiver, similar to Philip Dorsett a couple of years ago. Seattle obviously took the flyer on. But that's another receiver with legitimate straight-line speed. I think that would be very intriguing in a Seattle uniform. Yeah, if you're looking at the receiver position, I think you can make arguments for both those players. There's another guy in the market that is a free agent from the Jets, Jamison Crowder, a little different style receiver than the two that you mentioned, a smaller in stature, more quick than speedy receiver that's been very productive with out great quarterback play when he was in Washington, didn't have a great quarterback throwing to him much of the time. In New York, we know the issues that they've had finding a stable starting quarterback, even drafting Zach Wilson last year. His rookie season was, for the most part, a pretty disappointing season, had some injuries as well. But Crowder's a guy that can put up big yardage. He's a guy that can win downfield. And I think most importantly, out of the slot, you can do some stuff with him in the run game. He's a guy that can win in the short to intermediate passing game. In the middle, if you have a quarterback that's going to use that more than what Russell Wilson did, Jamison Crowder would be that number three receiver that I think you can get at an affordable enough price that it's worth considering a signing. I don't expect them to go out and get somebody like Allen Robinson, who's a big name. They don't need that. But adding a third receiver, and maybe D. Eskridge can still be that guy this next year, but adding another receiver to the mix that's a proven commodity that has put up good numbers, has been a reliable pass catcher, and can run routes out of the slot, I think would be a big deal. And on the offensive line, I don't expect Teron Armstead or a bigger name like that to be a player the Seahawks are going to be pursuing. But Morgan Moses, another player with Washington uh, Commanders, and was with the Washington football team before, but Washington ties last year was also with the New York Jets, is a player that I really like that I think you could probably re-sign or bring in at an affordable deal. You know, maybe you're looking at nine or ten million dollars at most. I don't see him being somebody that's going to break the bank, but he's a steady enough pass protector. I think he fits what they like to do in the run game. And even though he's more of a big body tackle, he'll surprise you with his footwork a little bit. So I think he could handle playing a zone or gap heavy scheme. That might be a veteran if you're not comfortable with Jake Curhan being the starter moving forward that you could bring in that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think if you're going to go that route, then there's a, there's a couple of players who have been released here recently that uh, I think would make some sense. I mean, Brian Bulaga, if you're looking for a guy who has the pedigree, um, has the positional versatility, play both left and right tackle spots, going all the way back to his college days at, at Iowa. And then, uh, you know, here most recently, of course, Los Angeles Chargers, um, and then previously at the Green Bay Packers. Um, Bulaga has dur- struggled with durability as well. That might be why you could probably get him on the cheap. Um, but when he is healthy, he's a good football player. And then again, if we're going to be focusing on the offensive line, to me, one of the real names to be focusing in on uh, would be at the center, J.C. Treader, uh, formerly of those Cleveland of the Cleveland Browns, and again, originally uh, with the Green Bay Packers. And center, of, of course, has been a huge area of concern. I don't know that it's going to be nearly as much of a concern if you have a more traditional drop back quarterback. Uh, not having Russell Wilson there, but Aaron Donald remains in the division, of course. You got to be able to slow him down. Javon Kinlaw and Eric Armstead in San Francisco are just going to grow into monsters. Um, and, and so I, I do think that it is critical for Seattle to figure out some type of long term plan, whether it be resigning the incumbent starter, Ethan Posick, or going out there in the free agent market and getting themselves a player like JC Treader. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the football. We've talked past rushers for the last several months because that is still, to me, the biggest need for this football team, and they have not addressed it at all so far in free agency. 
Von Miller, there's some rumors going around. He might be going to the Dallas Cowboys. Bobby Wagner might be going to the Cowboys. So those guys probably, and we know Wagner's not going to be coming back, but Von Miller hasn't been linked to the Seahawks at all. Chandler Jones, there have been reports that the Seahawks have interest in him. They know him well from his time in Arizona. And so far, it doesn't seem like he's in necessarily a rush to sign with anybody, but this would be the kind of player, even as he's entering now his mid-30s, he still was productive last year, one of the better pass rushers in the NFL for a decade, that I think would make a lot of sense to put him with Daryl Taylor and Carlos Dunlap. And if you're wanting this to be a team that wins with defense, you've got to find guys that can get to the quarterback. And I think Daryl Taylor could learn a lot from being around Chandler Jones, while he also is going to provide you great production. I know the price point might be something that scares Seattle, but him still being out there this early, it makes me wonder maybe if the money's not quite where he thought it was going to be at, or maybe there aren't as many teams bidding, but he should be a guy that I think the Seahawks absolutely should still be trying to go in on and be aggressive, trying to add talent to that defense. You know, Corbin, I've agreed with virtually everything that you said in today's show, but not this one. Um, you know, had Russell Wilson still be on this roster, then I absolutely would be all in on trying to convince a Von Miller or a Chandler Jones or um, one of those other uh, top pass rushers, maybe a Derek Barnett from Philadelphia. Guys who have that first-round pedigree who have had a great deal of success in the NFL. But I, unless Seattle does something crazy at the quarterback position and, and finds themselves a true proven franchise-caliber quarterback, then I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to spend a whole bunch of money on a 30-something edge rusher when you have the number nine overall pick in a draft cast that is absolutely loaded with them. Why pay for older Chandler Jones? Why not get the newer version of him? is basically my argument. So to me, if you're going to be spending some money on the defensive side of the ball at this point, then I, I still am intrigued by a couple of the cornerbacks who are out there. There's a couple of guys out there who have some man-to-man -man coverage skills. They also don't have great size. But if you were not willing to spend $11 million on average per year for DJ Reed, then maybe you'd be willing to do it with Robert Alford. Um, former starter with the Arizona Cardinals, or Dante Jackson, former starter with the Carolina Panthers. Both of those two teams have a lot of good, young talent, the cornerback positions. And I think that's the biggest reason why Jackson and Alford are basically being kind of pushed aside here. I, I think that those are legitimate starting caliber corners. And if Seattle does get more of a pass rush and does get this, the steady safety play that we're expecting behind them, I think those two corners could be successful in Seattle's scheme and be available for much cheaper than, than Reed's contract. I just mentioned that Bobby Wagner wasn't going to be coming back, and you threw out the name J.C. Treader. He was cut today by the Cleveland Browns. There was another notable cap move that was made in Jacksonville. We saw the Jaguars. They were throwing Monopoly money around yesterday for receivers and every other position, so they had to make some other moves to open up some of that cap space for the players they just signed, and they decided to move on from Miles Jack, former UCLA star, also played at Bellevue High School out here in the Pacific Northwest. And I know a few coaches that I guess you could say they had the fortune of getting to coach against him at the high school level, and he was a dominant running back and linebacker, played some running back at UCLA before getting drafted by Jacksonville. And he's had over 100 tackles three of the last four years. He's only 26 years old. This is a player that has three career defensive touchdowns. He's a very athletic player with that running back background, the sideline to sideline ability you're looking for at the, against the run and can play coverage. This past season was a major disappointment for him, though. He did not play well at all, had no breakups in coverage. 
pro football focus. I don't put too much stock in their grades, but his grade was below a 40. And if you look at the numbers, you can kind of understand why he just didn't produce the stats you're used to seeing from him. He had tackles and that was about it was a non-factor in coverage, had no sacks, even though they blitzed him a fair amount. It just wasn't a great year for Miles Jack. But again, he's only 26 years old. Jacksonville has been a chronic dumpster fire year after year, other than that random 2017 season they got to the AFC Championship game. They compete for number one picks more annually than they do for playoff spots. And so I think getting him out of Jacksonville, coming back to the Pacific Northwest, his old stomping grounds where he grew up, and playing the spot that Bobby Wagner previously held, or even if they have Jordan Brooks move over to Mike and he ends up being the will, I think that Miles Jack still has all pro caliber upside in the right system with the right talent around him. And getting him right now off of waivers, you probably could sign him at a fairly affordable deal. So I see a lot of upside, a low risk, high reward type move signing him. No, I, I agree. I've been a Miles Jack fan for a long, long time. Incredible athlete. I do wonder if just the Jacksonville Blues kind of got him down uh, a year ago with everything that was going on with the Jaguars. Uh, and, and so I I suspect that he is a player that should play much better, um, you know, this upcoming season with a, uh, a change in venue. If we're going to be looking for younger linebackers with speed to burn, the Kaiser White, another guy formerly of the Chargers, um, is another guy who's undersized. Um, you know, he might rem- uh, remind some Seahawks fans of Kevin Pierre Lewis, um, and that he's kind of a short, sawed off, but but thickly built, speedy kind of a guy. He's another one that is, can can play that weak side linebacker role if uh, Jordan Brooks slides over and plays that that regular Mike. I, I don't know that necessarily is going to be a, a huge improvement over what Seattle already has in, in Cody Barton, and of course, it's going to be interesting to see what Ben Burkirvan has. Uh, as we're working on uh, when he missed this last year, unfortunately, with injury. He should come back bigger and stronger, hopefully from a Seattle perspective. And they, of course, know that. Um, So if Seattle does not allocate a prime draft selection or uh, bring somebody in as a signing um, in free agency at linebacker, traditional off-ball linebacker, then I bet you they feel really, really good about Barton and Ben Burkirvan. I'm going to throw one name out real quick, and it's just because you do have Russell Wilson on the schedule coming with the Denver Broncos. He's going to be playing at Lumen Field wearing a different uniform. You've got to get his kryptonite this offseason, especially with DJ Reed now being in New York. Try to see if you can get Darius Williams, who I think has intercepted Russell Wilson 15 times in his career to this point. So bring him in. You get that kryptonite. Give yourself a chance to maybe upset the Broncos in Russell Wilson's return to Lumen Field. And he's not going to be on the Rams anymore either. So it's a win-win for the Seahawks. Bring in Darius Williams, upgrade your secondary a little bit. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest free agent news. I expect there's going to be some more signings here in the next 24 hours, maybe some players signing with the Seahawks. Maybe they'll have some outside free agents coming in as well. We'll be diving into all the latest free agent news. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.